Hey guys, welcome to the Rare Sense Podcast. This is Chris Irwin. Today I'm speaking with John McCaskill and Will Schneider. John is a retired SEAL and Naval Academy graduate, much like me, turned mindfulness and meditation coach. And you'll hear in the podcast that he attributes meditation to literally saving his life in terms of some of the mental health struggles that he was having as a veteran. Will is a yoga instructor and mindfulness coach. Uh, he's one of the most sought after teachers in all of New York City. And together, they host the Men Talking Mindfulness podcast, two guys from kind of completely different backgrounds that have come together through their experience with mindfulness and meditation to help others with it. They also host retreats, which they have one coming up in upstate New York, May 18th to 21st of this year, 2023, if you want to check that out. And this conversation ended up being two parts. The first half of it is primarily focused on mindfulness and meditation. We talk about their backgrounds in that practice, what got them to it, what it did for them, and how they now help others with it through the content that they put out. We touch on a couple of other topics as well, a little bit about yoga and how that helps Will specifically, how that's helped him over the course of his life. And we do a little bit around stereotypes involving men and sort of the societal norms that are out there around men specifically and why, because of those norms, sometimes we have difficulty getting into practices like mindfulness and meditation. But the second half of the conversation was a totally different subject, and it's really based on a shared experience that we have. I don't want to give too much away on that, but because of that, I decided I'm going to release this in two parts. We talked for over two hours. Since it was two separate conversations, really, it seemed to make sense to release the first hour focused on meditation as one podcast, and then a second episode that I'll release on the other topic. So I thought it was great conversation all the way around. I actually haven't known these guys for very long, either of them. John and I never worked together in the military, but they've become good friends of mine. And it was great to catch up with them. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. What's up, guys? How's it going? Good, Chris. Good to be here. Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, good yeah, to man. See you. Thanks so much. Honored to be here, brother. When was the last time we saw one another? Was it oh, shoot. Uh, a year uh, ago? A year, a, year half, plus? a year and a half? A year? Yeah, yeah. a Something year and like, like that. three months ago. Yeah, <laughs> we've spoken like since since then. Spoken so, since. Yeah, but, uh, okay. I don't remember seeing you since. No, I don't think so. Social media. I don't think so. Um, let's start off with just quick background for people that aren't familiar with you individually or what you do collectively, which we'll obviously talk about as well. Just quick kind of synopsis. Whoever wants to go first, doesn't matter. Yeah, Will, why don't you go first? Will, you go first. Sure. Hey, uh, Will Schneider here um, in New York City. Uh, I've been teaching like mindfulness yoga and meditation for, wow, uh, since like 2009. I've been a practitioner of mindfulness for over 20 years. I run Men Talking Mindfulness, co-host and co-produced with John McCaskill. Um, we're slowly growing. Uh, the show is going very well, and, and it's ex always a, an exciting creative process that we continually move through together. And uh, I don't know. That's kind of my little self in a nutshell, I think. <laughs> we can <laughs> find out more as we go through. <laughs> right. This is me in a nutshell. Yeah, that's, that's right, man. Kind of I'm trying to get out. I'm trying like to get this. out. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll, it's my turn now. So. Uh, John McCaskill, I'm like you, Chris, a retired team guy, SEAL, um, and 
found my way to mindfulness and meditation while I was in the teams due to my own struggles with anxiety and depression, uh, survivor's guilt and some other things. And finally got introduced to meditation and mindfulness along that way, along that journey, because it was the only thing that truly helped. I'd been on medications um, that definitely helped to numb the pain and the anxiety and the, and the sadness, but it also numbed any kind of sense of fulfillment or joy or drive. And I just kind of felt empty. And uh, I finally did have a counselor recommended to me, mindfulness and meditation. And we'll get into that a little bit more, but I attribute mindfulness and meditation to not only changing my life for the better, but quite literally saving my life. And now I, I teach it. I teach mindfulness and meditation so that I can pay it forward because I feel it's a duty and an obligation to do so. Uh, so now I am living in Colorado Springs. I've got three young kids and a beautiful wife. We live on a small farm and I co-host Men Talking Mindfulness with my brother from another mother right there, Will. So let's start there. I think that's a really good place to start. Can you just, I, I want, wanted you to kind of get a little more into what you were feeling, right? And like, what did that mean for you? You said anxiety, depression, survivor's guilt. Yeah. How did that express itself for you? And then talk about where it went with the medication route too, because I'd love to know sure. what you were on, why they thought that would be helpful. Because <laughs> sure. um, I'm, I'm one of these people that I'm not anti-meds. Yeah. I think that they have their place. I think, sure. however, we rely too heavily on them and we it's a mind and body separation problem where we feel like we have to, we have to find a pill that's going to help us with our mind, which right. we can impact in so many other ways that don't involve medication or ingesting something even. Right. Yeah. I mean, at, at least the, the, the common medications that you hear about, I mean, Prozac, Zoloft, Trintelix, uh, you know, Nate, you name the list, there are SSRIs that are out there. And I've probably been on every single one of them for anxiety and depression. What anxiety felt like to me was uh, I didn't fear death per se, uh, but I just feared every day. I feared like tomorrow is just going to be worse than it was today. And mm. the next day is going to be worse. The next day is going to be worse. And that's kind of how I felt about every day and just caused this tightening uh, uh, even as I'm saying that I'm calling, I'm feeling tightening, right? Uh, tightening in my, my shoulders, my back, my forehead, and, and just this overwhelming kind of sense. Like I, I just don't want to get to tomorrow. I just want today to be the day and I don't want to get in tomorrow. And then, uh, the, the, the depression was the exact opposite it was, um, man, I, I screwed this up yesterday, or yep. I could have done this better or, you know, Five years ago, if only I had done this or said this, I could have saved someone's life. I could have changed someone's life, quite literally, yep. um, you know, on the battlefield. And I, I felt as though I didn't deserve to be here after I'd lost some of my friends that um, I felt in my mind at that at that point were better human beings. You know, they Oof. were, they were fathers, they were husbands and yep. they were very effective leaders in the teams. They were effective leaders in the community. And here I was, I just didn't feel up to par with them kind of have that imposter syndrome. And because they were lost and I was alive, I felt sad because of it. And, um, so the, the two together, the anxiety and the depression, uh, manifested ultimately in physical pain, 
but then even more so very dark thoughts about do I do I take my life? Do I do I deserve to be here? And um, again, the the medications. I'm not anti medication. I just feel that at times people use them for uh, too long um, or in the wrong way, and they can be very effective in saving someone if they're in a crisis. Uh, you know, I've been there, and they I do feel that they did help, but they also, like I said, took away that that drive and that sense of joy and sense of fulfillment. I just felt like a hollow shell of who I had been at one point. And I wanted to get back to the the John McCaskill that, you know, 21 year old, not not in age and, and body, but just in the the drive and the the fulfillment that I had, had back at that time. Um, and that's that's when I sought help because I was definitely seeking or rather I was definitely thinking about uh, taking my life. Um, I hadn't put any plan into action. I wasn't along that far, but I, I was just like, you know what? I, I don't deserve to be here. Um, and I, I knew I was in a bad state. So sought out that help. And luckily, the the counselor was brave enough to recommend mindfulness and meditation to someone who at that time, um, you know, this is six, seven years ago, and it's becoming more acceptable, accepted within these communities. But six, seven years ago, it wasn't. And for him to step up and be like, hey, I want you to try this, that was pretty bold of him. And, and in all honesty, I laughed at him. I was like, no, man, I've got I've got some serious shit going on. This is this is not going to help. I don't want to sit in the lotus position and and you know, right. chant. Yep. I, I didn't think anything. I, I just I thought it was for hippies, monks and weirdos. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I never felt that I, I didn't know the science behind You're it. You're offending Will with the hippies. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking egg, dude. I, I'm not going to offend him any more than I've already offended <laughs> him in the past. <laughs> it's, I'm over it completely. You've already yeah. come over both of you to the dark side or to yeah. the light side. Light side. Out of the darkness <laughs> into the light of mindfulness. That's right. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's my so, uh, quick down and dirty. And is that the, the counselor that recommended, was it the same one who had recommended medications or no. prescribed them? No, so I had gone to psychiatrists for the medications. Okay. Um, and then this guy was a psychologist, a Navy psychologist. I, I actually, I wish I knew his name. I could, I would love to find him and say, hey, man, you know that crazy shit that you recommended six or seven years ago? Not only do I practice it, but now I teach it. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, man, it's. Yeah, so it was a psychologist, a Navy psychologist that recommended it. Man, it's funny. I guess I, even the stuff that we've experienced together in terms of healing, I didn't realize how similar our stories are. Like in terms of the yeah. experience, not necessarily exactly what happened, but that sure. the same exact feelings. And and the way I put that out in the content that I have is, <clears throat> you pretty much said it, but the opposite of presence of kind of awareness in the moment is either storytelling, what I call storytelling, which is looking at the past and trying to make sense of right. it and injecting meaning where it doesn't necessarily even exist. Right. And, and, and then what that, how you get lost in that and stuck in those loops or fear, right. Which is looking forward with, you know, anticipation and anxiety and all of those things. And it's like the more time we spend either lost in storytelling or lost in fear, the less, like the worse we are, Sure. the more we're just not present. Right. Um, and it really does for me come down to those two things and then trying to like find the opposite of those. Cause the reality is our mind does go 
back and forth a lot. We don't, of course, as, yeah. as present as we try to be, we still think about things that might happen in the future or ruminate on the past. But it's like, okay, well, how do you do that in a way that's not storytelling or in, in fear, right? Yeah, I, I love the word that you use there. And, and I, when I do talk to people about what I do now, I specifically hit use the word ruminate, ruminate about the past. That's the difference, right? Reminiscing about the past, yeah, that's great. Right. You know, looking at pictures, thinking about the past, mm. things that happened, whether they're good or bad, thinking about them. But ruminating and like trying to, in your mind, almost change the narrative because of the past and say, you know what? I screwed this up, but if I had done this, if I had done that, it doesn't matter because guess what? You're not going to change it. Right. So why bother? So right. don't try. Don't ruminate. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your energy. Don't get into that depression. Ruminating, reminiscing is great. Same thing with the future, right? Worrying about the future, fear about the future. That's the anxiety. But thinking about the future, planning for it, you know, hey, okay, maybe maybe I'm engaged and I'm thinking about my wedding and I'm thinking about, you know, having kids and that's great, but right. worrying about it, that's completely different. And right. that's, that's where we need to make sure we're not ruminating and not worrying or at least minimizing those two things. Right. Right. And my solutions for those things are if it's backwards, if we're talking about something we are thinking about in the past, it's one acceptance of whatever it may be and then gratitude, right? So like the opposite f for me of, the storytelling is acceptance and gratitude. It's just getting that mindset, just being thankful for things. And you can always right. find something to be thankful for. And then the opposite of fear is curiosity and then ultimately intent, what you're talking mm -hmm. about, right? Planning. So yep. it's, it's taking anything that you might be afraid of, especially if it's going on in your body, like you talked about pain and things like that, and turn, turning that into curiosity. Just you can be interested by it. You can be interested by anything, anything that you find uh, fearful, you can instead be interested by. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then setting intention. Right. Um, and we can get into that. So, okay. I want to, I want to try to, <laughs> this is, oh, I've never man. done a three way interview like this. So this is an interesting <laughs> challenge for me it's to try to like share, but interrupt whenever, you know, you guys, you guys do <laughs> yeah, this all the time. This. You're pros. I should say, you, you know, you, you have your own podcast <laughs> that you've been doing longer than I have. So you know how to do this kind of thing better. So, Will, do you have a similar story? Like, so th th this is kind of, this is how John got to mindfulness in his right. life. Do you have a similar story? What's your background that kind of got you to that approach and practice? I started, so I left, uh, I, had a, I had a corporate job. Uh, so I got out of college, like when did I graduate? Like 97, no, 96. I had a degree in biology. I went on and, and um, for six years and worked in a pharmaceutical company in their laboratories and I hated it and, and I just felt lost. And wow. You and were really part up, of the evil empire, huh? I, well, I, I didn't, well, I didn't realize how evil it was like 20 years ago. Right. Pharmaceutical now it's like, company. Oh my God. I was, I was, I was like in the laboratories, like, you know, making shit and like fermenters, you know, I was doing bacterial microbial fermentation. And, uh, and I just like, I never had the opportunity because I was like an athletic kid and I ended up playing basketball, like, and I love basketball, I played all through college that that's just the way that I kind of expressed myself. And, you know, life, you know, came at me pretty good after, after college and just kind of being lost in, you know, who the fuck am I? And had a broken heart. Uh, that broken heart led me to, 
begin to step on the path of a creative life as an actor here in New York City. And, um, and I just was like, I just wanted to be more present on stage. I wanted to be more relaxed. I wanted to be more calm. And then I started looking up, I think it was like in 2006, 2007, I just started looking up meditation because I don't know where or how or who kind of clued me into this would be something that would help me, you know, just to relax my anxiety on, you know, on camera, on stage, in class. And I was, I'm, I'm still a very anxious person anyway. And uh, I just started meditating um, actually in with TM in the trans- Transcendental Meditation. And that's just been, you know, I don't necessarily use TM all the time now, but I do meditate every day, whether it's like a breath meditation, I always throw some gratitude meditation. And that's just, it just helped me like you guys in some ways. It's just like, I, like, I don't know why or where all this anxiousness has come. I think it actually comes a lot from my mom. You know, she's, you know, I love you, mom. She's an anxious person and she's still lives through the hell of a lot of anxiety. And I think I just kind of, that just was part of my first nature just by, you know, being raised by my mom, my dad. And, um, so I just use it all the time to, to just try to, like you guys were talking about, just to be more present and not ruminate in the past, which like I find myself jumping into the past and trying to win arguments that, that happened in the past or something. You know what I mean? It's like, it's ridiculous. Or how am I going to win them in the future? You know, right. when yeah. opportunity, you know, presents itself again, you know? And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just been very helpful and it's just been so rewarding for me that I just kind of, you know, towards the, the, the end of my acting career, like about like 12 years ago now, I started, you know, taking a, that second step instead of just, you know, practicing on my own with, you know, yoga came into my life shortly after I started meditating and, and I was practicing like consistency for a good, consistently for a good couple of years. And I ended up getting trained and certified. And, and I was like, this just seems like something that I'm really started to enjoy just to see, um, people just kind of transform in, in just like an hour's class. And, and I just wanted to be able to help them do that. And, you know, I, and I just, I just stepped into the teaching world uh, of this. And ever since I did, it's like, you know, you kind of, you know, when you, I guess when you meet your, the path you're supposed to be on, the doors open and that's exactly what happened. Um, and now it's just been a pleasure to do all the work I've been doing for like the last over decade of just helping people understand these practices in a basic way and help them just, you know, get to a baseline of health. Yeah. Which we can grow a lot from there, you know? Yeah. For sure. So, so John, getting back to kind of where you were with this and this counselor who said, Hey, why don't you try some meditation? And you were like, yeah, screw you, dude. That's (laughs) that's not what I need. I need drugs. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. (laughs) What, what happened from there? So yeah. what, what did you adopt and how'd the process <laughs> yeah. go? Well, the irony, Chris, is that I had learned a little bit of this on the shooting range. I'm sure you had learned something to the effect of, hey, relax, let's control your breathing. Like I learned box breathing on the shooting range. Nobody told me that it was a mindfulness practice. Nobody told me it was a form of meditation, if you will. But they had told me, hey, if you want to calm your heart rate down, if you want to calm your breathing down, just do a four count of box breathing. Okay, sure. No problem. Real so, quick, just for anyone that doesn't know what that is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great point. Man, I'm a 
quote unquote professional podcaster and I screwed that up. Uh, so yeah, so box breathing. <laughs> That's why I'm um, here, it, man. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> for those who are listening who are not familiar with box breathing, it's basically you just breathe in for a count of four. That's the first edge of the box. You hold for a count of four. That's the top of the box. You breathe out for a count of four. That's the other edge of the box. And you hold for a count of four. That's the bottom of the box. And you do that four or five times. And that literally re sets your body. It taps into the parasympathetic nervous system. It activates the parasympathetic nervous system so that you calm down. Your respiratory rate decreases. Your heart rate decreases. And you can do that just about anywhere. And for anyone that doesn't know, parasympathetic part inside of your nervous system is your what quote unquote rest and digest. Right. Right. So right, exactly. Sympathetic is kind of fight or flight that's activating, which is weird. I think intuitively we always think sympathetic should be the but I, I, agree. I, I totally the agree. Way I, the way I remember it is I think of a parachute. Parachute. Yeah. <laughs> same, same. Parasympathetic. That's how I remember it. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So, you know, I was, I was taught and again, I wasn't, the physiology wasn't explained to me on the range. It wasn't told, Hey, you're going to tap into the parasympathetic. It was just say, Hey, this is a way to calm yourself down. So I was doing that. And I did that a few, few times throughout my career to control my shooting. That said, fast forward to where I'm struggling with the anxiety, the depression, and I've got this counselor telling me to practice these weird things, mindfulness and meditation. I laugh at him at first. And then he's like, hey, well, okay, what if I told you that I could give you a pill that, and this is going to sound rehearsed because it's part of my talks, but if I could give you a pill that was going to change your performance for the better, both personally and professionally, mentally and physically. Uh, so yeah, hell yeah, Doc. I mean, as a as a type A personality, we're always looking for an edge, right? We're looking for an edge over the enemy on the battlefield, or we're looking for an edge over our best buddy right next to us, right? We're always looking for an edge. So I was like, yeah, Doc, I'll take that. We, he, well, guess what? It's not a pill. It's mindfulness and meditation. So now he's selling it to me as performance enhancement. So you know, my knuckle dragging self. I'm like performance enhancing. I'm going to do this <laughs> type A personality. I'm going to do an hour long meditation. So the very next day I go and download like this. I think it was insight timer at the time, sit down for an hour long meditation. And I start listening to the guidance and start focusing on my breathing. And then about 17 seconds later, my mind is everywhere except on the meditation. My mind is on the fact that I have to pay my taxes, the fact that I got to change the oil on my truck, the fact that I got to pick up the dog crap in my yard, you know, everything except this meditation in the here and now. It is the exact thing that you're telling me about the anxiety and the depression, you know, fear of the future and the storytelling of the past. It's everything except being present in that moment. So I go back to that doc. I'm like, yeah, man, that, that meditation stuff, it, it was crap. It, it, didn't, <laughs> yeah. it didn't work. It, it was crap and I'm too busy. Like I'm just too busy a person. I've got too much stuff going on in my life. Everybody who does meditate must live in a cave or just cannot, cannot have stuff going on. It's so, so, this yeah. is so great because it's, you are the stereotypical person that I talk about and I'm sort of similar <laughs> too. of the, Completely. Hey, I tried meditation once and it didn't work. Exactly. Right, exactly. That exactly. idea, which is so strange. <laughs> And right. I always say it's just like saying, well, I went to the gym once and I that's didn't need to exactly, shake. Exactly. So that's what I, t- uh, I told the guy. I was like, hey, look, man, I, I tried that meditation. I did a, uh, I tried to do an hour long, made it about 17 seconds. He's like, well, what did you, you know, what kind of meditation did you do? This, this. And he's like, 
well, that's like going to the gym and getting under, you know, the barbell with 350 pounds and never having lifted weights before, or like lining up at the starting line of a, of a marathon without ever having run a step before Yeah, that. And if you go into the weight room and you do lift and you come out of the weight room, do you expect to be ripped and shredded and just, you know, your entire life to have been changed? No. So then I was like, okay, uh, maybe I should take a step back. Isn't and start that amazing a little bit though, that that's lost on us? Yeah. Because we, yeah. we completely understand that with physical training. Right. The physical training, but the it's mental like, training, you're you, like, you expect duh, it to happen like of that. course not. It's not like I just right. went and lifted and all of a sudden I've got, and I've never done right. it before and I've got a six pack now. Right. Exactly. And the exactly. fact that we can't draw that parallel just amazes me. Right. But yes, we, it, I think with the mind, we just expect it to be like a switch. Yeah. Well, and it can be to some extent. I mean, the thing that I say is obviously you can change your perception and your mood in the moment. The difference right. is what the training does, what mindfulness and all these other things do is it helps you do that faster, better, more often. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and for longer. And for longer. Yeah. Right? So, so it, yeah. I mean, can you change your mood? Can you decide to do that? Yeah, you can, but you're more likely to do it more often, better for longer, all of those things and, and build up sort of patterns of behavior if you adopt right. a practice behind it. Right. I mean, it's the, the, the physical analogy is still there, right? Hey, if you, if you do 10 curls, your biceps feel like they've, they've worked and then you look at them for a second. They're like, Oh yeah, it's definitely bigger. But then, you know, an hour later, you're like, okay, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, go ahead. Will. it's tough. No, it's tough to measure the mind. And plus like we've yeah. used the mind so much or the, the mind is rewarded so much for our intelligence, for our memory, for like recalling this or, you know, it, it's used as a, as a, you know, something that's strategic or a tool, but then being asked to just focus. And then the res the results of focusing, you know, or you don't necessarily see really quick results of focusing and, and to be able to train the mind and relax and focus the mind is just so, I just feel it's so foreign to our, to our society, you know, and it's not yeah. respected at all. And now it finally is. I mean, it, it, it's nice that, you know, guys like you are starting to speak up, you know, and realize how the importance of mental training and, and. And I think we're, we're seeing it more in sports, you know, they're definitely a huge focus on meditation and mindfulness and because it really does enhance everything we're doing because we are able to enhance yeah. our focus. Well, I, I think it's a lack of mm -hmm. ability to understand that your thought patterns don't have, to, you don't have to identify with them. You don't exactly. have to say, this is me. And that is a difference with our mm -hmm. physical bodies. It's kind of like I work out and I get it and I see the results there and right. it's me and I'm, the body's doing the work. And whereas when you're meditating, you're stepping out of your mind a little bit. I mean, it's still there. It's all, it's one of these right. things. I, Sam Harris talks about, mm. we feel like we are standing on the edge of a river, watching the river. Like we're, a, we're observing right. our lives sort of like we're, we're this kind of entity that floats around in our head and sees things from a perspective. But the reality is you are the river. You are the experience. The weird thing is, is that the river can look at itself. It can experience itself, which is the bizarre part of consciousness, the fact that we can do mm -hmm. that. But because of that, it means that you don't have to lock yourself into this, these thought patterns that happen. It's just a stream of information. And as soon as you can sort that out and realize that, then it's like an awakening of, hey, wait a minute. I don't need to 
that's not my thoughts necessarily. They're just thoughts. It's just, it's like a television or a radio or anything like that. Right. So did you have, John, did you have an aha moment where it was like after committing to this practice a little more where you're like, Oh yeah, it's probably going to take me more than once to. Yeah. I mean, I felt like a complete dumbass right in that moment. Right. And then my, my next aha moment was about two or three months later when now I've gone back and you know, the, the doc introduced me. Okay. Let me rewind a little bit. So I, I tell the doc that what I, what I'd done and he's like, okay, he explains the analogy there. And he's like, well, why don't we start with some box breathing? And I'll, at that point, like, light bulb went up Aha, like, yes box breathing i've done this before mm. and so he, he introduced me to box breathing not on the range though i'm just sitting there in his office and i do the box breathing and i'm like okay yeah i actually do feel a little bit better right now in this moment but then i left the office and i get in the car and i get you know in traffic and i'm like flipping the bird to the guy right next to me who cut me off and i'm like okay okay so maybe i should do some box breathing while i'm driving so i do some box breathing and it calms me down and then I, I would do it a few times throughout my day. And then I would go back and visit him. He's like, okay, well, now you've got box breathing down. Let, let me introduce you to a couple other things. And he introduced me to a couple other things. And I started practicing. And about two or three months later, <laughs> uh, I, I had somebody come up to me. And they're like, John, what, do, what are you on? What are you taking? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, High well, on life, brother. So, yeah, exactly yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. I used to have that poster with the hot air balloons. Yep, I'm high on life. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the hippies say. Yeah. That's it. So, hey. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, he comes up to me. He's like, what are you on? I'm like, well, funny enough, I'm actually off of everything. I've come off of everything. And I'm, I'm now, like, now this is another sense of anxiety. I'm anxious about telling this person that I'm meditating because, because it is in my mind still kind of a weird thing for people to do. So I take a chance. I'm like, Hey, well, I've actually started meditating. And in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking his eyes are going to glaze over. He's going to turn around and walk away and tell all his friends, Hey, John's turning into a hippie. He's a total weirdo. Um, and that didn't happen. He was like, what meditation? What, how did you get into that? Tell me more. And then he was like, well, Hey, could you teach me? And I was like, well, I, I'm not a teacher of any sort. I'm just going through it myself. He's like, well, maybe we could just do it together. And we started doing it. And then, you know, about another two or three months later, we had another couple of guys in there and they were doing it. And I was like, Holy shit, this is something that I could help people to do, help people do in their own lives, change their lives for the better, potentially even save their lives. Um, so that was, those were some aha moments there as well, right? The, the aha moment in, oh man, I'm a dumbass. I can't just practice this one time and expect it to change my life. The second aha was, oh man, box breathing. I've been doing that. Why can't I do it, you know, in the car? Why can't I do that in, at the house? Why can't I do it with, you know, in my relationship? Um, and then fast forward and then I get introduced to this guy. Or I don't get introduced, but he comes up. And he's like, what are you taking? What are you on? Like, oh man. There is a change. Something has shifted in how I, you know, it's, it's not a drastic change. It's just like looking in the mirror every day when you're working out, right? You're not going to notice that drastic change. But you fast forward and you look in the mirror two months later, you're going to see a change. You're going to feel a change too. Well, the same thing mentally, I started to feel that change. So last thing on this, when, when did it impact your actual issues that you were dealing with, actual anxiety and depression. At what point did Mm. something happen there where it made an impact for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think I didn't realize that it had uh, until I saw that the performance, quote unquote, performance enhancing 
stuff was there. And I was like, oh, you know what? I am I'm performing better at work. I'm performing better in my relationships. I'm performing better on my own mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And then I realized, oh, you know what? I haven't been anxious about tomorrow. It mm. wasn't, again, it wasn't this switch where I was like, I'm anxious about tomorrow. I'm anxious. Oh, suddenly I'm not. It was just at some point I realized I'm not anxious about tomorrow and I'm not sad about yesterday. And if I am coming back to what you talked about before, Chris, I don't define myself as anxious. I'm like, yes. Hey, I'm, I'm experiencing some anxiety about so this critical. particular thing, right? Yeah. Or I'm experiencing some, some sadness about this particular thing, but that doesn't define John as anxious or right. sad. Yep. And, uh, I think that was, uh, you know, probably three months after I'd been practicing regularly that I started to see and actually notice that change in myself, although it had been there before. That's really cool that it happened kind of under the surface for you. Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. up front and in your face. That's awesome. That's like one of those things, those, uh, radical transformation videos where the person doesn't realize how much weight they've lost. And then they step right. on the scale and it's like, Oh my God, I lost 200 right, right. pounds. Or they do the, uh, the time-lapse where they've taken a picture every yes. day for right. like a hundred right. days. Right. Right. Uh, I think if you had taken a picture of my brain or if there was hmm. some way to take a picture of my heart and my emotions over that a hundred days uh, every day, yeah. you would see the difference. It would be drastic, but yeah. Because you right. see it every day and you feel it every day, right. you don't notice it. Man, it's, there's a bunch of stuff in here that I, I kind of want to touch on a little bit uh, without belaboring the point. But one is the thing you said about not having to be an anxious person or a depressed person. like not. And man, I think that's such a tough thing for people to get over, myself included, of thinking, I have, I have anxiety like forever, right? This It's like yeah, a, a disease that I've been stricken mm -hmm. with. And getting to the point where I think the last, what I talk about is kind of the last hurdle in terms of recovery, although this is a lifelong discipline in my mind, but in terms of really changing who you are, so to speak, and adopting new patterns is you can't believe that you are still afflicted by some outside disease. I mean, we think about these things this way, like anxiety disorder and chronic this and it's as if you caught it like it's contagious or something <laughs> like that yeah right and it's not it's just a pattern of behavior but the yeah. every time you express something like i'm an anxious person or i'm a depressed person i have depression i have anxiety you are just right. reinforcing right. an unhelpful belief and you right. even if you feel that way this is the the part that's difficult you have to get out of that practice and start saying no, no, no. That's yeah. I, I used to have that problem, but I don't have that anymore. Right. Even as you're still feeling it. And I think that's so tricky. One of the guys that we, in some of the stuff that we've done together, one of the facilitators down there, I mean, he said that to me about my chronic illness stuff. He's like, you got to stop saying that you have yeah. a chronic illness. It's like, I have a friend mm. who had something similar and he moved towns. And when he got to the new town, he didn't, he decided that he was going to make a clean break and not talk about that anymore and not tell anybody about that. And it completely changed his life because it was, he was identifying that way. So then other people saw him that way. Right. And it just reinforced that unhelpful belief. Right. And you just, you have to get out of that practice. The other point that I just want to harp on is man, the glacial 
the glacial pace of this stuff is so <sighs> critical to understand because mm -hmm. exactly what you did in terms of like, okay, I'm going to adopt this. I'm going to do it an hour a day. And blah, blah, blah. that is so much part of, I would say our culture writ large, but especially for alpha types and people with our background of just like, Oh, that's, I'm going to do it twice as much and I'm going to go as hard as possible. And you can do that. Like that's okay. But easing your way into this kind of stuff, especially for me, like I've got this rare sense challenge out right now where it's like 20 minutes of yeah, all these different things. Yeah. And to some extent it's great. Like if, if I, I encourage people to try it obviously, cause I want them to adopt these practices, but it can be almost more effective to just adopt one practice for five yeah. or 10 minutes a day and get that as part of your patterns of behavior than trying to mm -hmm. do it all at once. I find this with myself. It's like, you feel the weight of, oh, I got to do this and that and the other thing. And it's like, yeah, build up the habit of just incremental changes and how that accrues over time. And don't expect the results to come overnight. I mean, it's, it's just so, it's counterintuitive for us because we just think we, the answer is harder, faster, more. Right. And it's yeah. not in this circumstance. Like you'll get there eventually but it's sort of like saying, I'm going to, I want to train for a marathon. So tomorrow I'm going to just start with like 20 miles. Like, okay, you can do that. Super painful and might not even be the right approach. Um, and <laughs> isn't necessarily going to set you up for success. Right. So anyway, Will, do you have, so when you kind of started doing this as well, yeah. did you have a similar experience? Was it like kind of life altering? Did you have an aha moment? Was there... Uh, light bulb remember, that went on. What's that? Yeah, I remember. Like, I, I was reading a lot of books at this time as well. Like about you know, uh, I remember Mihai Chik Semihai book came out in like 2003. The flow. So I was reading flow, and that led me to all sorts of books about like you know being present, being uh, you know alive in the moment. And and I remember reading a book. I think it was called Lucid Dreaming. And I was so attached, like, like we talked about earlier, and, and, and I think we're all just so identified with our mind and its belief systems. And, you know, and they, you know, they talk about it in the, in the Buddhist Buddhism, like how as we continually identify ourselves and continually move through these patterns of behavior based on that identity, they're called Sankara. And we just keep moving through that rut all the time. And it's really mm -hmm. tough to kind of pull ourselves out and, and, and take an objective, like wide angle kind of view of the river of life. Yeah, instead of like we're kind of lost, lost in its currents very, uh, very, you know, actively all the time um, if you don't practice or, you know, if you don't take a breath. Uh, but I remember reading this book and I'm on the subway and you know, they're making some sort of distinction between the mind and, and you being present. And something about the question is like, well, who is the person that says my hand, my brain, my, you know, clothes? Right. And, and I was like, whoa, what, what, that's a good question. Like, who is this I that yeah. I'm talking about? And then, yeah. and then in the book, like, he's like, well, I remember he had me like switching back from the reality of my mind and then just be fully alive in the moment on the subway at that, in that moment. I just remember going back and forth, kind of toggling in that moment. And I was like, oh, wait, like, that's what presence is. Like, that's what awareness breathe is. Breathe in like, the subway air. and Yeah, breathe in, exactly. <laughs> smell the bum next to you, right? And, and try not to judge, you know, or something, yeah. right? And, so, yeah. like, and I think that was like a really big moment for me. Like when when I began to, you know, like who is the person, who is the, the one that says my hand, 
right? Yeah. My nose, right. right? And I was like, whoa. Like, so that just, and then I, that just opened me up. And I just kept following that thread of like, how can I be more present? What does it take to be become more present? And like you said earlier about like, it's, it's like this very slow glacier melt of development that it's just, it's like little baby steps. Like you said, just a five minute practice, you know, once a day or a couple of times a day. And you just slowly walk yourself in to more presence, into more mindfulness, you know, identifying yourself with, with the moment instead of all the things that happened to your past or, or all the expectations that have been like lobbed on, on top of you without you even knowing it, you know, from who knows as a soldier, as a, as a son, you know, as a worker in some capacity. So yeah, it's really, it's, it's a nonstop revelation as well. Like one yeah. thing, part of my practice now is just keeping my fucking mouth shut. Like when sometimes like, instead, you know what I mean? I like think we could listen- all benefit from adopting that. <laughs> practice a little bit. I, I totally agree. Like <laughs> that's what a lot of other people tell me too, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. It would and, make uh, for a great podcast. If you just sat there with your mouth yes. shut. <laughs> and just shake my head. That was, that's like, there's an old, um, God, what is it called? There's a Todd Snyder. There's an old song from the nineties, which is sort of making fun of grunge rock and alternative rock. And they, the concept, I don't know if it's right off the bat in the song, but eventually it's, we didn't, we just didn't play our instruments. Like that's the music's original alternative is silence. So he's like, and then we, the, the, they loved us. They, I don't know if he can sell a record that's got nothing on it. And he's like, just tell them we're from Seattle. And it's like, he advanced us three and a half million dollars. And he's like, we go on MTV unplugged and we refuse to play acoustic versions of the songs we refuse to play in the per- first place. And then we smashed our shit, right? Like it's, it's a great concept. So Love it. anyway, getting off track, but that made me remind me of oh, that. Oh, good. So yeah, Will, you're, you were practicing something where you just kept your mouth shut. That's oh no no yeah I mean I just yeah. like that I mean, was the original I, I mean, <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> I, I no I, I uh, I'm just learning to listen more like that's kind of where my practice is now to listen more intently yeah. to just be more present and try not to like insert myself or insert a story you know and, like and I it's just, just nice what's it like I just did exactly like I just did yeah. <laughs> like you just, well right 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 <laughs> yeah. like like we all do in a lot of cases but it's like you know I get to pick when you know yeah. or is this really going to be helpful. To the conversation, is it going well, to move the conversation forward in some ways? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, totally. I think it's, um, it is in our nature to try to assert ourselves so much. And, yeah, I would yeah. say culture these days is kind of hinged on that. Like social media, it's all about inserting your opinion on everything. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And we've lost the ability to listen to one another. And, and <sighs> yeah, I agree with that. And I'm not very good at it either in terms of trying to have a conversation with somebody. And it's a conversation, which means it's back and forth and you both need to speak, right. but letting the person make their point and really listening to what they're saying, looking in, mm-hmm. in the eyes and trying to make sure that they recognize you understand what they're saying. You know, yeah. we just don't do that. It's like, we just want to, we, we're just waiting for the other, well, we're not doing, we're not listening. We're just waiting for them to finish talking so I can make right. my point. Right. right. And that's what we exactly. do so much of. Yeah. So how did we, you guys uh, go ahead? We had an episode on the men talking mindfulness podcast about that very thing uh, with Ryan Shat, mm-hmm. And it was all about how leaders need to be better listeners because the same thing. I mean, we're, we're humans as leaders and, and often we listen to half the conversation 
and we try to start formulating a response or a retort before the other person is even finished. And one of the funny, funny parts in that podcast was um, Ryan, our guest, he, uh, he finishes this thought. He's like, you know, what would be great is if there was just this silence in between the comments. And Ryan and I sat there for about a second, and then Will's like, "Yeah, but da 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 da." Starts like red. <laughs> like, ah, you fucking ruined that perfect moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't uh, help here myself. Here I am. I here I am injecting <laughs> injecting another story. So <laughs> it's a podcast. We're supposed to. Talk it is. A, it podcast. is a podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, how, so let's go there then. How did you guys get linked up and starting a podcast, Men Talking Mindfulness Podcast? Social media. It was yeah. like, uh, you know, it was, hey, John had his epiphanies and enlightenment and started teaching, you know, like mindfulness, like he was talking about earlier. And, you know, he put it out there to the world on LinkedIn. You know, we have some friends in common on LinkedIn and uh, we kind of linked up through LinkedIn. We started doing a just a monthly. It was just good to talk to another guy. You know, uh, this is, goes back June 2019. Yeah. And we just started doing like a monthly phone call talking about mindfulness, talking about books or reading. And we just like would schedule it and just drop in for every like 30 minutes every month. And, and this was and not just, recorded. This You're talking. You no, just, no. We just started, just started talking. Okay. Yeah, just a regular phone call. And then the pandemic hit. And, you know, John said like, hey, why don't we go live on Instagram and, and start doing the, you know, have a show. And I was like, okay, cool. And in that moment, we said, let's call it Men Talking Mindfulness. And we did about, I don't know, a dozen or more Instagram lives just talking about a particular aspect of mindfulness. And and then we turned it into a regular podcast. And, you know, here we are, like, you know, six seasons later, over 100 episodes and, you know, a small growing audience. And, you know, we're just really putting some work out there in the world. And people are really waking up and, and really enjoying it and, and sharing it. And, you know, I really feel we're really having an impact and exactly in what we're passionate about, not just teaching this, but just spreading, you know, disseminating this information and just and make it in such an easy and digestible way that people can be like, oh, wait, like, so mindfulness can be, you know, me eating differently. Mind, mindfulness can be, uh, could be like me just going for a walk and without my phone sometimes, you know what I mean? Like mindfulness can be me finding my breath, you know? So it's just like, give them like, we have hundreds of different on-ramps to mindfulness yeah. because it's just had such a, you know, a, a big impact in our lives. And, 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 part of what I've enjoyed about this journey of towards men talking mindfulness and spreading more mindfulness across the planet is our relationship that we've been forming around this. You know, it just, it's, I think that's, that's a big, uh, it's a big part of the show as well, but it's also just, it's just become such a big part of my life, just getting to know John and, and to and produce something that, that comes from a, a place of passion and, uh, yeah. you know, something that's really fulfilling. So it's, it's been quite a journey and it's been a lot of fun and it just keeps growing. And what um, I think is cool about it is you, you have diverse backgrounds. It's fair. it's great to have a yin and yang in that yeah. respect. Somebody like you, I think you were a self-proclaimed hippie, right, Will? I'm not, did you refer to yourself that way? I don't refer to myself. I, I, I thought you I, I did. Think, I think at no. some point uh, I – I called him a hippie and I said, yeah, you're self-proclaimed. And, and then, and then we just decided to roll with it. And then like six months later, Will's like, Hey, you know, you know, I never claimed to be a hippie, right? Oh, like, what? What the fuck? I hate that term. I really did. Well, John, okay. we're writing up our first, we're writing up our first, like, you know, whatever, like, uh, the intro, to- the intro. Right. And he's like, oh, you know, something about a hippie and a thing. I'm like, Oh my God. I was yeah, like, but right. I'm thinking like, you know what? It can't, it works. 
Navy SEAL and a hippie. It's, it's catchy. Like perfect. Yeah. It is catchy. Exactly. <laughs> it is catchy. So it draws your attention. You know, I am definitely don't consider myself a hippie at all. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I guess that's what I do. You know. And is your do you consider yeah. are you going after a male audience as men talking mindfulness, or is it just a obviously you're men, so like a male perspective on mindfulness? Like do you have female listeners? I'm assuming yeah. you do, but Yeah. Yeah, the the vast preponderance of our listeners are men. Yeah. It's about seventy five percent or so. And the the intent was um, originally it started with it was called men talking mindfulness because it was just that it was two men talking right. about mindfulness and it wasn't necessarily targeted exclusively to men and then we realized you know what men are dummies <laughs> <laughs> and, and, they, and they need to get they need to get this message so maybe we should not only call it men talking mindfulness because two men are talking about mindfulness but because men need to hear this message right and and then we realized you know what Everybody's dumb. <laughs> You'll get no argument from me on that one. Every, everyone needs to hear this message. Uh, yeah, sorry, I know I, I don't mean to insult your audience. I'm talking about us. We that is inclusive, right? Rare so, sense. So uh, yeah, we we felt, hey, you know what? It's it's men talking mindfulness. We do have some episodes that are still very men centric, uh, kind of targeted towards men and our own. Uh, our challenges that we have to overcome, you know, ego being a, a, a jerk at work, you know, it's that, and that's not, that's not male exclusive, but it's, I think, I think it is the masculine energy that, right. that is w- within all of us. And, and I don't want to get into the topic of toxic masculinity per se, because uh, masculinity in and of itself is not toxic. But if you f- try to force your beliefs, whether it's masculinity, femininity, uh, your religion, your pol- political beliefs, if you try to force that on anyone, that's when things become toxic. Yeah. So we do talk about we do talk about confined masculinity. We had Ed Adams and Ed Fr- uh, Fraunheim on our show. They authored a book called Reinventing Masculinity, mm-hmm. and they talk about rather than talking about toxic masculinity, they ca- talk about confined masculinity. Whereas a man or a masculine type, quite often the roles that we are accepted or we have accepted is the conqueror, the provider, and the protector, mm-hmm. and anything that falls outside of those three realms is not acceptable. So mm. if we're, if we are happy, where does that fall into the provider, protector and conqueror? No, nowhere. It's secondary. That's, that, you know, that, that's all those things. Know, happiness shouldn't be an emotion that men should express. Vulnerability shouldn't be an emotion that men should express, or at least that's how society kind of sees masculine. Sure. But in actuality, there's many other roles, you know, provider, conqueror, protector for sure. Those can be roles that you fit into, but what about nurturer? What about, you know, artist? What about creative? Those are all other roles that we can fit into just as well. So the other side of confined masculinity, oh, I screwed this up. Well, what is it? I'm right uh, here. No, but no. The other well, side of confined yeah, liberating yeah, masculinity. Li- uh, li- so liberating, like, so like, yeah. yeah, living, uh, you know, all the values that, well, you know, like the merging of the, the, the you know, the masculine and feminine energy, that's all, that's part of us, all of us. You know, and 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 not being afraid to express, you know, joy, happiness, patience, kindness, as well as like you know, aggression, anger. I mean, it's all part of our humanity, regardless of whether you're XX or XY. 
you know, um, biologically, it's just, it's just who we are. And, uh, it's, it's a kind of an, it's a shame that men have just been thrown in this box and, and it's, you know, we can see what's manifesting now out of, out of like decades and generations of men, you know, just being either defined by three major things. And, yeah. and, uh, and that's why I think it's, you know, here we are having this conversation, three dudes, you know, that, that have found these skills and these practices of mindfulness and how much, how much they've changed our lives. And we're able to have like an open conversation about it and, and not feel ashamed or guilty or, you know, like doing this with like pseudo names and, and, you know, change voices or something right, like that, you know, right. you know? Yeah. it's like, we're, I think, we're here. I mean, it's, I think it's really so- happening and yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that the um, the way I get around that stuff is oh, I think our problem, a big problem that we have just as human beings goes back mm-hmm. to this identifying idea. Yep. We, we get so wrapped up in identifying ourselves based mm-hmm. on a whole bunch of characteristics that are superficial and that we didn't choose, right? Our gender, the color of our skin our sexual orientation, all these things. Like when I look at myself, white dude, heterosexual, and I didn't choose any of that stuff, right? That's just how I happen to be in the world, right? And then my experience sort of comes out of this body that has these characteristics. But it makes no sense for me to take pride in those things or feel ashamed of those things. It's just like the way I happen to come into the world, right? But we get mm. we get so wrapped up in that that we feel like then we've got to conform to some sort of societal standard that's been artificially created around those characteristics, right? And the more you can just think of, or, you know, for my sake anyways, think of myself as just an individual and that's it. Like I'm just a human being, right? And I can, Mm -hmm. I can express that in any way I want to, and it doesn't need to be tied to something as nonsensical as my skin color or my gender or something like that. We talked, talked, I forget which episode it was, on men talking mindfulness about othering, right? Mm, like, yeah. So, yes, right. Yeah. W- you know, we we all three of us just happen to be three white heterosexual men, and if we were taking so much pride in that, and if anyone did not fit that, they are being othered, right? Yep. Right. And we actually see them as nothing but others, almost like objects, not other yep, human right. beings. Yeah, it's a shame. But if we if we come back to what you just talked about, Chris, is identify as a human being, right? Then we can't other anyone because we're yep. all human beings, right? Yep. I mean, maybe I guess we can other animals, and <laughs> but but as far as the human race, we're not going to other anyone within that human race. We are all human beings. We all have our own hearts, our own desires, our own aspirations, our ideals and values, and that doesn't necessarily make us uh, a, a bad person well, because of, of colors or race. Now, I, I will say, you know, if, if if their beliefs and values are infringing upon others' rights and privileges, that's when there's definitely things oh, of that, course. that can come into. Yes. But, but right. yeah, just based on gender, ethnicity, color, uh, sexual or, sexual orientation we're totally othering people and that's, that's when it becomes yeah. uh, dangerous and, and really hurts. Well, I always like yeah. to liken people as we are an experience. That's what we are. So I sort of hmm. not conflate, but I actually deliberately sort of conflate the idea of mind experience and you, me, right? I am the output of this stuff. Hmm. I'm not this stuff. I'm the experience that's happening. Right. And so I liken it to a musical instrument. I'm the music. I'm not the instrument. 
right? If mm-hmm. you thought of my body as a yep. guitar, I'm the music. Yep. And so if you think about it in that context, everybody is just a piece of music. And if you hear beautiful music, does it matter what the instrument looks like? No. no. What you're concerned about is how the music mm-hmm. affects you. Right? Oh, nice. I like and that. And so that's, that's how you have to think of people. The actual mm-hmm. person is the music. It's not the instrument. Yeah, yeah I agree. Anyway, let's, man, that's all, that's all deep. I'm like, got to shake it <laughs> out know. that one. Thank you. That's where we wanted to go. <laughs> so I want to get into our shared experience here now that we're an hour Please. in. But before we do that, the, the other thing I wanted to touch on is a little bit of yoga. because Oh, actually two things. I want to talk about Great. yoga. And then I want to talk about the retreat you guys have coming up. Because oh, that's, I you. think, an exciting opportunity for people to interact with you directly and learn from you. So, But let's talk about yoga a little bit, Will, because that's something you're really steeped in. I know you practice a lot. Yeah. I do it a little bit, and I've gotten better at it uh, in terms of commitment to it. But I'd le- I want to just get your perspective on the importance of that for you, what it's done for you, and how that ties into even your mindfulness practice. Yeah. I mean, my yoga practice has changed tremendously ever since I kind of got on the, you know, the path of yoga, uh, you know, it was 2007. I think I really, I mean, actually, you know, I, I started taking kind of like yoga classes like in 2000 and then that was when I lived in Philly and then I moved to New York in 2003 and then I started taking practice seriously like 2007. And, and, and in the, be, in the beginning, it was just a means just to kind of open my body and experience my body in a different way. And I, you know, I went to this, I was like going to power yoga classes in the beginning. So we'd hold poses for a long time and, you know, flow through the same sequence of poses very often. And I just started having all these different experiences in my body and, and like releasing all sorts of tension that, you know, that I didn't realize was even like so deep in my body from all of my athletic pursuits, like growing up. So from like, you know, I think one thing about yoga is, is people think of it just as the physical practice, like the asana practice, like, and that asana means poses, you know, and that's moving from whether it's like warrior one to like moving through the whole like chaturanga up dog kind of thing, down dog, like those are all the poses and, and they're put usually typically the way the West expresses yoga is through like sequencing. So, you know, you're in an hour class and you're moving through a particular sequence that, you know, you know, that keeps you on your feet, keeps you on the floor, you're on your back, you're on your belly, you know, back bending, forward folding, and just really opening your body in, in a great way. And, and, but also there's other, you know, there's eight, like the, the uh, eight sutras of yoga. You know, I don't, they start with like, you know, basically the 10 commandments, like how, how to be, how not to be. All right. But then we go into like pranayama, asana, right. And then contemplation into, in, into the mind, like into meditation. And then also, you know, living for a higher cause, like giving yourself or, or, or understanding the divine nature of things. So it's like, these are all the limbs of yoga and the physical practice is just such a great, incredible tool, which I'm, you're experiencing, Chris, you know, John has experiences as well to kind of rinse your body and your mind of like this daily stress and anxiety and the hardship of that, that usually just comes on just by having this physical you know, having our instrument, right. That keeps us walking in the world, right. Yep. Like that this instrument needs to be tuned, right. And if it's not tuned on a regular basis and yoga is a great way of tuning your instrument. So, so not just to let go of the things that get in the way of like that higher frequency, but also to attune to that higher frequency. Even part of that attunement is, 
is uh, working with your breath. And, and that's just not only helps us to be more present in the moment, but it also helps to relax, you know, more of that, like the deeper levels of stress and anxiety in the mind and in the body. And, and uh, so it's a beautiful practice. It keeps me, you know, I, I'm more agile. I'm much more balanced, like, you know, not just mentally, but also physically, you know, I, I'm, I'm more limber. So it gives my, my body the ability to, you know, really be more responsive in the moment. And I feel like I'm, I haven't really been injured in significantly in years, you know, because of the practice of yoga and, but also, but when I'm really in the practice and really being led in a practice instead of me leading a practice or leading my own practice, but I just get to see myself, you know, as a student and experience myself as a student and, and it, and just also challenge myself physically. There's a lot of, you know, people just think, you know, when I started teaching yoga a long time ago and trying to get people in, interested in, in the practice of yoga and, and mindfulness, it was, it, everyone was like, oh, yoga is just stretching, you know, and it's so <laughs> yeah. much, you know, depending on where you go and the type of practice and, you know, there's different, different ways to practice. It's so much more than stretching here in New York very often. And I teach it as a way to challenge fit yourself physically so you can get to know yourself more mentally and you get to use the breath as, you know, the, uh, the go between, between my catastrophizing a particular moment and talking to myself in a self-sabotaging way versus shifting over being more present and using my mind as a way to, you know, to empower myself and to be yeah. more inspiring and stuff. So, and, you know, it just, and I see it helps so many people. You're, you're, what are your experiences now, Chris, with yoga and, and, and how it's working for you? Well, and, I, I'm a big fan of kind of multitasking some of these things, some of these ideas. Okay. What does that look like? Not, not always necessary, but we all have busy lives. And so if I'm trying to like do breath work and do meditation and do sauna and like all these other things that all these biohacks we have to do today too. I got to dunk myself in an ice bath every day and I've got a intermittent fast and all that shit. That's out Microdose and whatever. Everything. Right? It's like, okay, one, I can't get overwhelmed by that. I can't do all of it. But if I'm the things I'm going to do, can I get multiple bites out of the apple in one go? Great. And I know that for me, I'm a very, I'm kind of like a CrossFitter. I like to go hard with my workouts mm. or high intensity interval training. And I need a little bit of balance in that regard in terms of what I put out physically. And I know that, and I have had to change my approach to the physical aspect of training for me, but with yoga. So it, it's kind of those things. One, I found that I really like hot yoga because yeah. room temperature, I just couldn't, I'm not very limber. And so it was more difficult to get in these things. It's when all you're muscles, all super man. hot and sweaty, it's just one, it feels like I'm, kind of getting a detox out of it. Like I'm in a sauna. So I'm sort of getting that impact yeah. Two, I'm, it's just helping me move better. And, and it's an hour long. So I get breath work out of it. If yeah. I'm really focused on that, I'm getting stretching, which I definitely need. And I'm getting mm -hmm. energy movement through my body, which I really like. Yeah. I also like Qigong a lot, although I, that's a slightly mm -hmm. different practice. But then if I can adopt the meditative part of it too, which I yeah. think is the real trick to me, yep. it's because you can spend an hour yoga class where and your mind's just wherever and you're not paying attention to it. And you're just thinking about something you got to do like we or if you really try to be present, like right for this hour, every time my mind drifts off, I'm going to meditate. 
at the same time, I'm going to bring it back to like, am I right here right now paying attention yeah. to what I'm doing and mm -hmm. present? And that's like four things all in once in terms of yeah. practices that I can do. And that's what I really like about it. So I do it, I do it once a week now. I think Good. twice a week would be better, but I'm getting there. Like I said, baby steps. It's I find it better to adopt a practice, even in a very small amount and get that habitual. And then you can yeah. expand it from there. It's, it's just, I think set, sets you up for having that as part of your life longer term, if you do it that way. I think so. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think the, the, the hot yoga for me really helped me to get in touch with my mind. Get, got, getting it. Cause like we'd go in New York and fucking really hot class, like a hundred and two degree room or something like that. Yeah. And you're doing the, you know, the Bikram sequence is really big back in like whatever, 2009, 10 or something like that, 12 here in the city. And just like, you know, really staying in the room, not trying to like, you know, lie down or, or, or step out of the sequence. And uh, so that was, it was a very empowering, empowering for me to watch my mind more, you know, as I continue yeah. to try to move through these practices. And it's like, I mean, yeah, I saw some of your videos, I guess it was on Instagram, Chris, about you coming out of a hot class and talking about how much you're enjoying them. And I think it's great. I mean, whatever gets you, anybody who's listening to the mat, uh, just to take on this, you know, there's a reason that yoga has been around for over 5,000 years because it makes a big difference on, on the mind and the body and how you are the citizen that you are in the world. Yeah. So, and I'm also, helpful. I think what's helpful too, is you got to go in. I mean, it's humbling for sure. I go in yes. there and there's, there's people in there doing handstands and splits and all this. And I yeah. am probably never going to get there, but that's okay. It's like, yeah. you're not you competing with anybody in the class exactly. at all. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's one of those things that I want to make sure is at least some part of my life, that kind of movement for as mm -hmm. long as I'm around. Yeah. So let's get into the retreat you guys got coming up. Is this the first one you've done like this? It's going to be the second one. It's okay. going to be the first one we've done on the East Coast. So we did one in September in uh, Durango, Colorado. We had um, seven or eight folks there. It's uh, three days, and we're going to use the same model kind of uh, – where, where we're there for three days, two nights, and we introduce what Will and I do. So that's right, right? Will? It's four days, Eight, three nights. Four days, three nights. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so we we introduce the meditation, the mindfulness. Will does the yoga, and then we bring in Dr. Teresa Larson, who does mobility and movement. You know, it's not just one of the modalities that we bring. It's all three. So we're working on the body and the mind together because as you heal one as you improve one you heal and improve the other yeah. they are inextricably intertwined and this this next one is may 18th through the 21st upstate new york and uh you know we've got uh we've got some interest in it we've got some actually with some returnees from our uh oh, yeah. last event in durango they loved it so much they've signed up for the next iteration in upstate new york may 18th through the 21st and uh, it's the mindfulness adventure retreat. So it's we do some work and then we talk and then we go out on a hike or we go ride horses or we go sit around a fire and we share stories and we, uh, you know, we all eat together and we have mindful meals and we experience the meals and then we share what it is we're feeling in that moment. Right. So much of what we miss out on in our lives these days because as you mentioned chris before that we're all very busy we're missing out on the emotions that we are experiencing mm. or that we could experience be be they good or bad so 
we we really try to get people into the moment. And again, that's through movement, through mindfulness and meditation, and through yoga. Um, and it's with myself, Will, and Teresa Larson, Dr. Teresa Larson. She's a Marine veteran turned doctor of physical therapy. And it was just amazing. Uh, I think Will yeah. and I, um, we've been to retreats. Um, I personally never had, uh, been a, a part of the facilitating a retreat, but I was blown away just in the first evening. Like we've done some meditations, we've done some yoga, we've done some movement, we're sitting around the fire. And the stuff that people experienced, the reasons that they were there, what they had experienced just in that first 12 hours, it was just mind-blowing. Uh, so uh, it, it is something... Um, that we want to do again and again and again to really help people live that happier, healthier, more fulfilling, more stress-free life. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. How many and, and one, how many people can go? We could take uh, we could take as many as uh, twenty five for this particular retreat. What's also we added to the retreat, or what was also part of the first retreat we did in September, is we had this four week integration program where we just don't leave you hanging with all these amazing like epiphanies and awakenings and practices that you kind of learn, but then we walk you through like a four week uh, integration practice where we where we meet and we'll like first week we'll talk about you know mindfulness, second week will be you know, doubling down on breath work and yoga. Third week will be, you know, the physical therapy work we've done. And then the fourth week will just be, you know, we're tying it all together so we can, so, you know, you really have, um, it's just a really complete package with on this particular retreat and where we're going upstate. Uh, I got a chance to visit. It's, it's actually a, a Buddhist mission place that's been around. There's on 400 acres. They have like 12 Buddhist Korean monks live there Korean Buddhist monks live there and they take care of the whole property. It's like such an, an incredibly serene place. And where we're going, we're going uh, like one of the most beautiful times in upstate New York, that third week in May where everything just starts to blossom and, you know, the spring is coming alive. So I'm really excited. I mean, to just take people to just this very, very beautiful location and just its simplicity just speaks volumes already. So it's going to be a really good time. For That's sure. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Where do yeah. Uh, just if people want to look up that specifically or sign up, where do they go? We can go to uh, mentalkingmindfulness.com slash retreat, mentalkingmindfulness.com slash retreat. Um, you know, or mentalkingmindfulness, you know, at uh, on Instagram uh, is all there. So yeah, thank you for that for its opportunity yeah. to talk yeah, about. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I'm ho I'm hoping to join you guys on that. Oh, that'd be amazing, man. I'd love to have you. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm.